Welcome to Scripps Talks. My name is Bob Stewart. I'm the director of the EW Scripps School of Journalism, and today I have as my guest a 2012 graduate of the school, Alex Stuckey, a reporter with the investigative unit at the Houston Chronicle. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's been a while since I've seen you or talked to you, Alex. The last I had heard, you were covering NASA for the Houston Chronicle, uh, which is sort of ground zero for the U.S. space program. You've made a change or they've, they've reassigned you. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing now and how that, the, the current state of affairs affects what you're doing now. In October, I think, I finally convinced them to put me on the investigative desk. My constant pestering finally paid off. Now I'm on the desk, and, you know, I was kind of halfway through a project that had been greenlit and approved, and I was trucking along, and then coronavirus happened, and it's really made it difficult to do any kind of reporting, as I'm sure a lot of reporters can attest to. It's really hard to go out and try to convince people to talk to you when you can't be near them and you can't really knock on their door for fear of freaking them out. It's been a struggle, but I know other people are are having much worse experiences. In your investigative work, are you able to maintain some momentum with a project that is not focused on COVID-19? Yes and no. The worst feeling ever was, I think it was last week, I opened up this email about a records request to figure out where it was, and all it said was catastrophic hold in bold letters, and I just feel like that's the general feeling of anyone who's working on a long-term project in this environment. Luckily, I was far enough-ish along that I had already found some families for a few of the stories that I'm working on that I've been able to just stay in contact with them, and I have gotten a lot of data prior to coronavirus coming to Texas. Agencies couldn't really use the excuse of coronavirus to not fulfill my request. Even that is so hard because I have these great sources, but I can't go meet them in person again. I feel like I'm in a spy movie because I'll be like, hey, can I have these documents from you? And they'll like leave them on their porch and I'll like run over and get them and then like leave the last ones that they gave me like back on their porch and it's just like this weird, weird situation where you can't interact with people, which is basically the definition of journalism. What's it like with your colleagues and you to the degree that you're able to, or or how do you interact with each other? Because I'm assuming everybody's still working from home. Is that correct? Gosh, we've been home for over 60 days. We've been home for a while because we had some colleagues who went to NICAR, and of course they had that case at NICAR. So we haven't been in the office for a very long time. And it's really difficult. You know, I didn't realize how much I relied on my team to just vent about something that was irritating me or like, oh my gosh, someone said no to this request. How should I reframe it or, you know, whatever. By just like, you know, looking over at someone and asking them. And it's a whole different ball game when you're not in the same room as people. You know, we have like Zoom calls and stuff, but it's still not quite enough. You know, there's a lot of kind of people tripping over each other because, They didn't realize so-and-so was working on something because they couldn't just walk over to their desk and ask if they were working on it. It's 
not an ideal situation and made me realize that I really never want to work from home permanently. <laughs> yeah, it's it's probably fine for about a week and then you start yeah. realizing <laughs> that it's kind of fun to bump into people at the coffee pot and just chat without realizing how important all those little conversations can be. Yeah, for like a week I was like, oh yeah, I to stay home with my dogs. And then I was like, oh wow, this is not an environment conducive to working. I've set up a station at my dining room table and I had to steal my monitors from work in the middle of the night, make sure that I could still like fill all my spreadsheets and stuff while being at home because we have no idea when we're going to go back. It's just this really weird, anxiously waiting for something that we don't know when it's going to happen. And so that, you know, also makes it sort of difficult to work. Have you experienced at the Houston Chronicle anything that you think has helped mitigate some of those feelings of anxiety? I mean, are there any things that are being done by management or colleagues, maybe even very informally, as this goes on and on and on? I mean, are there some ways, maybe we wouldn't call them best practices exactly, but I got to believe that as this goes on in time, people are evolving in how they're managing it. My team of eight, we've started this bakery goods drop-off service between us. Someone's having a stressful day. We send them cupcakes, and we had one colleague. He tested negative for coronavirus, but he was sick for a really long time, like a month. So we, like, sent him care packages. You know, just being compassionate to your fellow colleagues is very helpful. We, every week, have an all-staff Zoom call where we can ask our top editor whatever questions we have, and Hearst, which owns the Houston Chronicle, is really great because they've said we're not doing any layoffs during coronavirus. Now, what the story will be after the pandemic, who knows? At least now, we know we're relatively safe. Um, so that helps as well, especially as, you know, we watch the Guinness of the world furlough people and other papers lay people off. That's been helpful for our mental health, I think. What's it like in Houston at this time? Because I, my understanding was that it was an area that was hit pretty hard by the virus. All the testing data, and, and we've written a number of stories about this is, is so wonky and not really accurate. It's kind of weird because in the beginning, people were sort of taking it seriously, but not really. And like then for a couple of weeks, it was like ghost town everywhere. And, you know, you got to stand in line to get into the grocery store and just like really weird post-apocalyptic. Now everyone's like, I don't care. We can't be bothered with this anymore. People are kind of getting back to normal, which is concerning since Texas hasn't plateaued yet in the number of cases that are coming up. I was telling someone this the other day. It sort of seems like there's no middle ground. There are two factions. You know, you have the people that are taking this so seriously. They haven't left their house in two months. They're washing everything that comes into their house, including groceries. And then you have the people that are like, we don't care. This is stupid. They go to bars and restaurants and everything else, and they're not really protecting themselves or others. So it's just kind of this weird juxtaposition of people and how they're kind of handling it. Well, there's going to be a lot of interesting studies when it's, this is all said and done, because you do have these different populations who have behaved very differently. And uh, we'll find out, I suppose, at some point, yeah. what impact it's really had to make these changes or not to make the changes. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, Alex, I don't suppose you can tell us anything about the project that you're working on, but maybe you could talk a little bit about uh, being an investigative reporter at the Houston Chronicle and what types of projects you guys work on. I can't really say what my project is, but <laughs> but the Chronicle is really nice because as you look around the country, I feel like papers are really cutting back on their investigative teams and not putting a lot of resources into it because you do only do like four stories a year, if that. But here, you know, we have a pretty robust team and we lost a couple people to other publications and hired those positions back. Last year, we published a project on sex abuse in Baptist churches, and we also published a story about how people were having their children taken away for physical abuse when there was no physical abuse involved. And so, you know, we just do a lot of, I would say, social justice stories, if I had to classify it, and mine is along those lines, although I can't tell you what it's about, but there's an environment at the Chronicle that is very conducive to projects. They encourage them, and and that's really nice in this day and age. Now, you got a taste of this as a student back in the day. A room at the student newspaper, The Post, was converted into Alex's data room, as I recall. When was it that you really got the bite, the fever, as it were, of investigative journalism? Um, So I think, I don't remember what year it was, but I took um, Amy Edmondson's, just her news writing class. It was her first year there. So whatever year that was, the year that this occurred. I took that class and she was an investigative reporter and she's a wonderful human and so excited about journalism. And she was starting an investigative class where, you know, learned how to use data and how to get it and stuff. And so I took that and that was very much the bug that bit me, I think. And so I've been doing projects at all the papers I've worked at until, you know, I finally got here and there was an opportunity for me to get on a desk and not have to do projects at 2 a.m. at night um, and actually do them during work hours. And that's my job. So it's been a nice change. Good for my sleeping habits. I think this is now the fourth newspaper that you've worked at. Is that correct? Yeah. My fourth real job paper. What's the lesson there for a young person who is, you know, maybe concerned about journalism as a career and not sure, you know, whether there's a future there? You know, you're someone who's been on a Pulitzer Prize winning team. You've won several awards. And here you are, you know, I would say living the dream. If you're wanting to do investigative journalism, you're doing it at a paper that has a team and have some resources. How does a young person use you as a role model? I mean, what are the the takeaways from your life? For me, it was very much, you know, I I had the Pulliam Fellowship at the Arizona Republic, and there was some talk of keeping me on as like a full-time employee afterwards, but they were, you know, it's Gannett, they were being really weird and, you know, weren't giving me an answer. And right before my internship ended, I got a job offer at this little paper in Idaho, and basically everyone was like, don't take that job. It's too small a paper. That'll be a waste of your time. But for me, I felt like it was, in hindsight, the best move that I could have made because I went there and I was able to do essentially whatever I wanted because it was a staff of six or whatever it was. I, I just kept doing projects there and 
you know, that was sort of like the testing ground for like, okay, I'm, I'm a big kid. This is a real project, not one conducted in, in Baker. Um, <laughs> I would say that, like, you know, I feel like there was so much pressure, at least when I was in school, to like get to the biggest paper you can, the fastest you can. And, you know, I've just found that that's not really helpful. Like being able to go to small papers where you can just sort of like test out what you like and test out your project and get good guidance of course but also play around if you will was the best for me to sort of build up to where I am and you know I went to the St. Louis Post Dispatch and that's a much bigger paper but I wasn't happy there at all so I got an offer at the Salt Lake Tribune and that you know a lot of people view that as like a huge step down it's a much smaller paper much smaller market But like, you know, obviously that worked out well in my favor. So I would just say just because there's this pressure of getting to the big leagues or whatever, I just think that's a total waste. You need to be going places where you will be able to do your job and do it well, not necessarily only striving to get to, you know, the biggest paper possible as young as you possibly can. Do you have a kind of a life map or an arc that you're on or are you just taking it one day at a time? sort of the like life goal was to be an investigative reporter so here I am to just keep doing this job as long as I can I guess I never really did I went to school with a lot of people whose ultimate goal was the New York Times or the Washington Post that was the only thing they cared about and you know this is where I'm I'm gonna go no matter what and I just feel like that's not necessarily the best option you know you may get lucky and it is the best option that works out for you and you have a good editor and and everything else but you know I feel like I just did everything by the seat of my pants which is why I've moved across the country a million times you know I think I was seeking out people that would be good mentors and good editors and people that would make me better regardless of where I quote-unquote ended up that's what has worked out best for me what advice would you give to an incoming freshman in the School of Journalism in 2020 as far as how to prepare themselves for what's ahead and how to sort of keep your head from exploding from <laughs> all the scary headlines? Well, I don't know about the last part, but I would say I think it's just important to make sure you are doing journalism in school. Like going to a good journalism school is great and you get great professors and and whatever, but I think you need to actually have experience working, whether that's the Post or whether that's, you know, a a college magazine or what have you, and then do internships. I think there was only one summer that I didn't do an internship, and that's because I was studying abroad in Italy, so I felt like that was an acceptable break from my internship. I think doing the internships and doing the work while you're in school that's all you can do. And so if you just keep building on that and keep working that way and make sure that you're writing, not just for class, that's how you're going to get better. And I would also say, you know, kind of seeking out mentors, whether college professors or people who worked in the newspapers where you did internships, is very helpful, even if it's just, which I have done a million times to the poor people who I've befriended. Should I take this job? What should I do? Like, is this enough money? You know, just having someone to bounce those ideas off so you don't feel like you're all alone because I feel like, you know, most people's families don't really understand the world of journalism, at least mine didn't, is really helpful in helping you feel comfortable in the decisions you're making in school and then once you've graduated. Well, I hope your family understands what a great achievement you've you've had so far in your career. 
encounter this a lot, even with just with my friends that are not in journalism. They're just like, I don't understand. What is your job? What do you mean? I feel like having those people who are in the industry is very helpful just with everything. Let's talk a little bit about life balance. What are some of the things you do outside of journalism to maintain some sense of balance? I read a lot, and now that I'm 30, I very much am just like, okay, I don't necessarily have to work all weekend. I put in that work, you know, I'm in a place where I can actually take weekends off. I think that's very important because as a young journalist, I worked myself to death all the time. And I'm in a much happier place now that I'm like, okay, it's time to take a break. Especially now that we're all working from home, it's so hard to be like, okay, it's 7 p.m. I have to stop. <laughs> you know, I do a lot of yoga. I hang out with my friends. I bake. The normal things, I think. I know that you played soccer for a year or two in college. So um, I, I did, yeah. I, I think a knee injury puts you into the journalism <laughs> world full time. Yeah. It's my recollection. Yeah. Best of luck uh, with COVID-19 and with your project. Good luck to you.